it's that time of the week again. That's right. It's flat out RC podcast time. It's the podcast where we talk all things radio control flight. We're talking radio control planes, helis and drones. My name's Andrew Sill coming to you from the land down under in Melbourne, Australia. And what an episode we've got for you. Just a, a, a homegrown guy this week back on... Uh, his name is Craig Fitzsimmons. Craig Fitzsimmons, is, he's a member of my club. Uh, and we're going to have a bit of a deep dive into his story around aeromodeling. And that's what this podcast is all about, telling people's story about their life in aeromodeling. So stay tuned for my chat with Craig. But before we get to that, let's have a look at what's been on my mind. Well, what has been on my mind? Well, it's been a funny period of time in my mind, really. <laughs> that uh, where I live, we've had some pretty bad weather. Uh, we have had consistent rain, which means we haven't been able to get out flying very often. Uh, last weekend, I had the really successful Warbirds over Bansdale event. If you haven't looked at the Flat Out RC video, get onto the Flat Out RC YouTube channel, and you'll see Warbirds over Bansdale video that I shot just to share some of the uh, the action. But that was a great event. It, the Saturday was awesome. The Sunday really didn't happen due to massive rain shower, you know, overnight and which flooded the field. The, the field resembled a river by the, by the morning. There were streams running through the pit area. There were parts of the low-lying runway areas underwater. So it would have been good if it was a float flying event because you wouldn't have had no problems in getting off the runway. So, and they're t things totally out of our control. Uh, but it got me thinking about motivation in the hobby. And I feel sometimes we have pressure on ourselves to, to be 100% motivated all the time. And, you know, I'm motivated to produce this podcast every week, but it's, you know, producing a podcast or shooting a video is an act of creativity in my mind. It's, it's, it's creating a piece of content Um. And the, and the work behind that and all that kind of stuff that I really, really enjoy. So you could, it, it's associated with aero modeling, but I like shooting videos and I really enjoy doing this podcast and hosting this podcast. So I, I, my motivation in the hobby does waver. And sometimes I think I put unrealistic expectations on myself of what, you know, my motivation, what my motivation levels should be. And the reality of the situation is, I think, is that we don't need to put pressure on ourselves to be motivated to continue to be the best aero modeler and attend every single event and make sure you're out flying every weekend and building a new model all the time and all that kind of stuff. It's you pick and choose what you want to do at that particular point and moment in, in, in your life. And as, as I've experienced by doing this podcast, most people have a break at some point in time. It's very, very, very rare that someone has been, uh, you know, a, a modeler from from birth in a kind of way. Very, very rare, because it's hard to keep the motivation levels up, especially when something else that might come into your life that you enjoy and you want to dedicate time to. So, you know, the most common things we see is cars, women, because uh, we are a male dominated hobby for whatever reason we are, uh, but you know, other things come in: fishing, boats, jet skis other sports, family, work, all play a part in, in impacting our motivation levels for the hobby. So it is actually very, very rare to see someone that is uh, you know, a lifelong aero modeler that's never had a break. Personally, I've had 
ups and downs with the hobby as far as motivation levels go. But I think the underlying thing is that, and, and people have said this, it never goes away. It's been like um, I was involved in car racing and I was interested in cars from a young age. That was sort of passed down from my father who was interested in cars and competing with car events and things like that. And I got exposed to that at a young age and something that I aspired to do and, and, and did that. And, I, and I'm not doing it at the moment, but I always say to everybody, but it never it's always there. Every year when the, the V8 supercars go to Bathurst, I get taken back to racing car days. Uh, and it's a bit like the hobby that it always just sits there. You know, I've got a new plane that's arrived that I've got to put together. And I'm, 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 I've had some health issues with injury, uh, very, really busy with work. Uh, other family commitments. So my motivation to go and even touch that aeroplane to, to, to get it up and flying is very, very low at the moment because of other things that take priority. It's actually interesting. We were just driving back from the country with my family in the car and I said to my son, how do you prioritise what you need to do first when you've got limited time? And he said, you do the most important thing first. And I said, yes, Charlie, that is 100% correct. That's what we should be doing. Whatever's the most important thing is, is what we what should take precedent in my life at the moment. I suppose um, work is probably a big one. So moral of the story is if you feel like you're not doing enough in the hobby, if you feel like all you're doing is listening to this podcast and not really going out to the flying field and getting out there much, don't beat yourself up because you're still an aero modeler. It's still sitting there lurking in the wings. And when the opportunity arises and when the circumstances are right, you'll be back flying your model aeroplanes. It never goes away. It's guest time, my favorite part of the podcast, a time where I get to sit down with a guest and, and learn more about them and understand their hobby their, their activity in the hobby, and you you can join in on that as well through your listening. So uh, it's it's interesting when I inter- when I ask people to come onto the podcast, a lot of people actually say to me, "I don't have anything to say," and then I encourage them to come on because I know that everybody's got a story. And and today's guest, Craig Fitzsimmons, he declined. He said, "No, nah, get somebody else. I'm no good." And I said, "No, bad luck. You're on." And that's the kind of relationship I've got with Craig. We see each other down at the field and um, I just, my role is to rib him uh, and have a, have a laugh with him because he's always up for a laugh. And that's what I do. And I said, no, no, you're coming on. And sure enough, what you'll see is that Craig had plenty to talk about his life in the hobby. We not only talk about that, but some of his other activities at the field as a, a field maintenance kind of guy, um, looking after the grass and some of the challenges around, um, you know, his experiences with that. So, here is my chat with one of the Peanut Gallery members, the Flattered RC Peanut Gallery members, Craig Fitzsimmons. Well, on this week's episode of the Flattered RC Podcast, we've got another guy that oh, I do call friend. We, we muck around a little bit when we see each other at the field, and uh, he is part of the Flattered RC Peanut Gallery. Craig Fitzsimmons, welcome to the Flattered RC Podcast. Thanks, Andrew. It's, uh, good to be here. <laughs> well, we're going to have a few laughs like we always do. Um, you know, I might rib you, but that's why you have got uh, the the label attached to you as part of the peanut gallery. But we've got a, we've got a fair bit to cover. And and again, I always I've said this numerous times. I know you, but I don't really know you in a kind of way. So I'm going to get to know you more about y- your background. And th- the first question always is, where did your journey in aero modelling begin? Okay, um, it probably started off. My my uncle um, Rob Black is 
he's actually flies full size and I fell in love with um aircraft back then. Oh, this is when I was a young kid. And um he I think he's got his hangar down at Tyab and um he was president down there and um retired now and all that. Um anyway, um aero modeling, yeah, I probably I, I think I saw um Tim Morland who um, he actually taught me to fly. This was, must have been back in the 90s. I saw him flying a glider at, at the local footy ground up in Hallam. And um, so I went and chatted to him and, um, and he, he told me that he was in Barms and, and all that. And um, so when, this was back in the 90s, I believe, probably early early 20s I was. Yeah. And um, so I thought, you know, this would be good and I'll go and um, have a look at the Barms Club and they're quite a big club. I'm not a member of them anymore, but anyway. So anyway, I got into it and bought my first glider, the old two by six, you know, the old Bolsa, USA Bolsa glider, I think it was, and you had to build it. And um, so he, he taught me how to fly from there and just progress from there. So, okay, so you, you always loved aeroplanes. Yes, I, I can. I've got that memory in my mind as well of seeing someone fly a glider at a park and going, "Isn't that cool?" All right, and um, yeah. And Tim Mullen's a, a good bloke, as we know, and a very, very competent pilot as well. You, so you, you went to Varms to check it out and then you bought a plane? Correct, yeah. Yeah, okay. I went along to one of their events as well. And mm. they had, you know, and um, it started off and back in the days, back in the 90s, you know, those hobby shops in Danong, down in Foster Street in Danong. And um, mm. I think there was another one over near Myers or somewhere in Danong. Yeah, anyway, so um, I got into it and that and I met quite a few blokes in the, in the club, went to um, flying off the slopes. Like, so gliding was my passion. So I went to, um, down to Kilcunda and, you know, you're seeing all these scale gliders and you go, oh, that's nice. And I'd like to get there one day and have one of those. But I was just happy with my, you know, a two by six little floater. You know, you, you just throw yeah. it off the end of the slope and you just, and you stay up there for like, we had 45 minute flights. You know, it was yeah. great. It was awesome. You know, Huxtable Road, you know, um, Pakenham, yeah. uh, Mount Shamrock, we flew off. Um, where else? Kilcundo or Ridge Road, um, Ridge Road up in Callista as well. All these flying sites. I think I believe that some of them aren't there anymore. Or no, they, you know, a lot of them you can't fly. But you know what? That's interesting. I never knew that you're a glider guy. Yeah, 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 glider guy, glider guy. And um, I love, still love gliding. I've still got a lot of my gliders, Southern sailplanes. You know, Ralph Lemont. Yes, he, yeah. He, uh, yeah, he built some nice, some nice gear, and um, you know the ricochets and um. The Pearl, Pearl Ludes, I think they're called. Yeah. I've still got my gear with the three different wings you can buy. Oh, really? Yeah, I've still got that. You yeah, know, but so, um, wait a second. Take a step back, right? So okay. I'm really interested in that first steps of learning how to fly. So you say Tim taught you. Were, were you bungee launching off a flat field or? or yeah, yeah, bungee launching. Yeah, that's um, off there and, um, you know, the old parachute and the big surgical tubing or whatever they used to call yeah, it. that's right. The, I used to yeah, have some of that. Did, yeah. So then, was it a two-channel radio or four-channel? Yes, um, I think it would have been about a twenty-nine meg AMF yeah. AM radio. I think it was. Okay, let me guess. Racing. Let me guess. It was either a Sanwa or a Futaba. It was a JR Beat Two Eight. Oh, I got it wrong. <laughs> I got it wrong. There you go. Who? Where, that's a fancy pants two-channel radio. Gee, where did you get that yeah, from? Yeah, yeah. Rudder and elevator. That was all through. Um, the hobby shop down in yeah. Foster Street, I think it was. Was it ABC Models? Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Okay, so so what were those first few yeah. fl flights like for you? Oh, good. They were actually interesting. You know, first of all, he said, like, this is – we're going to learn the rudder, you know, so you know how to turn. And um, and that's all I was on, just on the 
the rudder all the time. And then, then we went on to the elevator and, and then he put me up the bungee on me. He goes, right, I go up on the bungee on your own. And so you just, when you, you know, go up on the bungee, you just, you know, have um, control of the rudder, you know, so you sort of steer it going up the line. And then once you get off and then you fly around and some of the sites up at um, Huxtable Road, there's quite a few number that's impacting them there. The western site, you know, I remember getting attacked by bloody um, magpies and all that, you know, and you get, get peck marks on your wings and all Says that. You're right. You, I would have been, yeah, e- I, would, I would have been egging on the magpies to go for you. <laughs> there was some nice, yeah, that was at the back of the pony club. There were some really nice sites up there. You can't get there anymore, nah. and it's just around the corner from me now. That's no, right. So. Okay, so let's move on from the gliding because, okay. so you remember at Varm for a while. Um, yes, I was a member there probably about, about five, six years, and then then marriage come along and, you know, relationships oh, yeah. and no kids and, but, you know, married and all that. So I actually stepped out of the hobby, but I always kept my gear. I wish I sort of kept flying right through and then. What got you back? What got me back? The hobby shop at Fountain Gate. Oh, see. But actually, that. Yeah. <laughs> the, uh, yeah. yeah. You know, walking through past a hobby store. And once yep. a hobbyist, always a hobbyist. You're going to make a beeline for it, aren't you? And you're going to walk into that shop and you're going to see planes hanging from the roof and you're going to fall in love. Yep. Yep. Is that and, the story? Um, I met, that's the truth. That's very true. And I met Adam Barker. Yeah. He's a good mate of mine. And, um, well, he always has been, Jace. And But I met him through there. What year is and, this? Uh, give, us a, give us a year of when you came back uh, after the uh, hiatus. Uh, it must be around about the 2000s or something. Oh, it must okay. have been around. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it, must, it was a long yeah, it must have been I had about a 10-year break or maybe even a little bit more because yeah. I had the hobby shop down in um, Dandenong. Yeah. Yeah, first of all. So I'll go back. Yeah, and I really liked Hallie's and I'm, I'm thinking, oh, I wouldn't mind having a Hallie. And so I got a um, the old JR Venture Hallie and I got into that and I joined Melbourne Hallie Club. But I didn't really like it that much, the Hallie's, because they're, they're a bit hard. But why – actually, why didn't you like it? I'm interested to know that. Look, I'll probably um, – it's a lot more involved in in flying a heli than to flying aircraft. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, there's a lot more, and and if they crash, you yeah, they're expensive to build, you know, to rebuild. And do you find like one of the things that I say about flying helis because I've flown helis as well is that I don't relax when I'm flying a heli. It's not a, and look, when you put, commit the time, of course, everything's going to get easier. But you've got to commit a fair bit of time to get to that point where you're comfortable in flying the heli in every orientation, that kind of thing. But I just found that the thing that put me off the heli flying was yeah, I just was tense every single time I flew. I can, I can do, I can, I can fly a heli around, you know, kind of stuff and hover and inverted hover and stuff yeah. like that, and loops and rolls and all that. But, but um, sport aerobatics, we'll call it. But I always found that I was one step away from a crash. And that's why I sort of haven't dabbled with, but I love the look of helis. Love the look of helis. Yeah, I, I agree there. And um, um, I just couldn't – like I could hover, you know, but mm. I just couldn't really grasp it. And, but I really like scale, the scale heli. I love scale. Yeah. That's that's my that's my thing. I like an aircraft look like an aircraft. You know, like you can see it, you just you replicate it, you know, type of thing, you know. Yeah. So. so you got out of the helis then? Got out of the helis. Um, and then I, I met up with Adam at the – because I moved shops, yeah. and then I met up with him at um, Fountain Gate, and I went in there and saw him. You wouldn't believe it. I bought another heli. Stupid. You idiot. Electric heli. goes, I'm into helis. <laughs> you know what I mean? I don't know whether to do cars or do helis. He goes, nah, get into helis. Oh, he's a good salesman, isn't he? 
still on water down the hill. I go, no, electric one. And so we, we flew that for <laughs> Yeah, I know. I know. I'm water down the hill. What was it? Um, yeah. Um, it was one of the um, big E-flight things. I can't oh, remember yeah, what yeah. it was. It was like about a 600 size. It was big. And um, it was pretty dangerous thing, you know. And uh, <laughs> I ended up moving off because I was scared of the thing. And that, but the, those road aheads, you know, those speeds yeah. to get up on those roads. Oh, I'm thinking stuff this, but we we flew it, you know, around and, and all that. But um, ended up moving it on and then got back into aircraft. weren't in any clubs then. Adam and I used to go down the local footy ground and we used to fly the, you know, the foamies, E flight foamies, like the Cubs, the sport cub, you know, little foamy thing. We used to fly that and then we just progressed from there. I've had a few planes over my time, had a couple of helis. <laughs> well, we all have. <laughs> we all have. Yeah. But you know that era, you know when you talk about that 2000s, especially that mid-2000s up to about 2014, that was peak heli time in my hobby career and it was unreal. It was such a vibrant and it's a pity that it sort of died off a bit. But, look, things come in, go, come in circles, so I know that it will come back. Um, I think one of the challenges is the industry has to be there to support it. And remember we had the era of the Align heli and Align is still going. But they were everywhere. Yes. The T Rex four hundred and fifty. I, I that got me back into the hobbies alley. I'm like you. Yep. We're very similar, except yeah, you're in the peanut gallery, and I'm yeah. What am I? I'm the guy <laughs> yeah. on the stage that you're throwing the peanuts yeah. at. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> line ball. I don't know which one I want to be. Which camp I want to be? You're, you're the showman. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, and the Hallam Hallam hobbies. That's right. Fred, whatever. Yeah, he, he was Fred a heli guy. Yeah, he was a heli guy. Yeah, he was big on hallies and. Yeah, he's he's moved on wherever he's gone now. So um, yeah, so, so he got I got broken into a few times around there. Yeah, that's what happens. But um, okay, so you bought this other heli, then you sold the heli, and at that point you decided what you go on RC cars. No RC aircraft. And what did you go on RC aircraft? Okay, um, what did we get? Um, foamies. We started off with foamies because we we're only flying at park, parks, as in like footy grounds and yeah. stuff like that. Yeah. And so I just went into like a little cub. You know, a little um, four-channel cub or whatever they are, foamy thing, and we just flew that around. We're flying through the goalposts and stuff, and uh, it was good fun, you know. Uh, <laughs> all those things that you're not supposed to do, but that's all right. Keep on going. Do your whole for yourself, Craig. Oh, I know. And um, oh, there was one time which I've still got today because I love my my scale planes, my big um, um, Cessna, which is one of the better things. About a two point one. That's a knee flight. You might have seen me fly yeah, yeah. the big red white thing. Yeah, it's lovely to fly. But we flew this off at the, the local footy ground, which, you know, then you, you got caught. You were putting stuff by the cancel and that. But anyway, um, we flew it off there, and I lost I lost sight of the thing. Oh, no. And, um, but, uh, yeah, we lost sight of it. But it was all, it was all red. Or, and the, in the sky, it looks dark. You don't know. Yeah. We didn't know which way it was coming or going. So I handed the transmitter to Adam, and he got it back to me, and then, then I changed the colour scheme on the wing and, you know, paint, basically painted it all white with a, a red leading edge and, you know, tips and stuff like this. I, I can, it's easy to see now. Do you know what's funny? Today I was having a, a bit of an online chat with a few flying buddies, some of the young kids that uh, down at our club and stuff and um, from abroad, yep. some other clubs and, and in a little track group that I'm involved in. And, and we're talking about colour schemes. And, and I, I said to them, from my experience, the best colour schemes are contrasting colour schemes, not necessarily the colour, Unless a blue plane on a blue background on a blue sky is not that great, but opposing colours like black and white, and, yes. and big chunks of black and big chunks of white, then that's why a lot of these aerobatic planes have a big 
black square and a, then a big white square, not the little checks. People think, oh, the checks will work, but that big opposing colour, because you know what it's like on those grey days where, you know, y- y- everything looks grey. You know, it doesn't matter what yep. colour the plane is, it just looks grey. You know, you need that opposing. And that's what you did, basically. You got the red and the white. That's right. Yeah, I'm about to do that on one of my planes I've got now to put some um, striping underneath it. And that's one of the, because um, I love my scale stuff. Well, take us through, take us through your planes now. Go, go okay. through the list. Okay. You want to go through the planes? Okay. Well, what have we got? Decathlons, big decathlons, you know, 3.1. Really? Decathlons. Yeah, there's one. Yeah, I've got two of those. Which, uh, well, why do you have two? Okay, why do I have two? Um, <laughs> I'm actually, I'm selling one at the moment. I'll just sort of advertise it tonight. When that's a pilot kit and that's got an 85 in it, DLE, I'm, I'm just put that up there oh, tonight. Nice. That is nice. That's the um, red, black, and white scheme on it. Oh, beautiful. And that, that's ready to go. That's ready to go. Have you flown that? No, it's never flown. Nothing's been started. Nothing's been flown on it. Oh, it's cool. never been. Yeah, I know. You're like me. Yeah. So we'll Take um, our time. Yeah, so that, yeah, I know. So um, that, that's got advertised tonight on RC Trader. But the other one I've got is the Seagull. Yellow and blue, yep. the Cathlon, yeah, and that's really nice. That's and point. I really, yeah, I was really chasing that, but I, they didn't have any in stock. But I got the other one instead. Yeah, they've been hard to they've been hard to get. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, no, I picked it up. You know, at a good price and come with servos as well, yeah. and uh, which is good. Um, okay, so Victor Air Tourist, love them. They're an old. Um, they are good, aren't they? Sportsman, I think Sportsman yeah, aircraft. Sportsman Aviation or something like that, were they? That's them. That's them from then Tate's. Tate's had them, yeah, yeah. And yeah. it was like a, there was yeah. a run of them kind of thing. I don't know whether there was a mass-produced, like they did a massive run, and it could have just been for the Australian market too because you've never seen that. They're all that yellow and blue kind of scheme. That's right. But everybody says they fly really, really well. They do. They do. I, I've, I've got two of them. Mm. And I actually, the first one I've been flying, flying the pants off it it's got a little um rcgf 21cc in it lovely thing it just puts around furs around when you fly it and really scale because I, I fly slow on my scale stuff and all that but anyway i saw one advertised which was a mint condition um victor air tourer and i end up i bought that and it's never flown at all yeah you got to keep that because they're not coming back yeah that's right so that that is really mint condition you know- so I was a member of a club where a guy had one and he was doing some like just sport aerobatics some loops and stuff and relatively close to the strip, you know, within regs, it wasn't like it was right under his nose, but um, pretty low level like loops. This thing looked beautiful. Like, it's a really nice plane to, to look at it in a loop, you know. You know, when yep. I'm talking about distance, you might be still 80 metres away from you, but keeping it relatively, no, not a 300-foot loop kind of thing. And because they've got a bit of dihedral on them, haven't they, the wings? They have. Yeah, yeah. So it looks, they have. Oh, they're, they're lovely. Nice, really lovely nice wide fuselage kind of thing. Yes. Yeah. yeah, no, really, really nice. So what else is there? Cirrus aircraft I've got hanging on, Cirrus. Well, let me think about that, Cirrus. I th- you bought it off a guy that's really intelligent, good-looking guy, yeah. um, smart, has an amazing podcast you may listen to called the Flat Out Arsenal yeah, Podcast. Yeah, I think I know him. I think I know him. Yeah, yeah. 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 So yeah, I. That so that is really good. So that was the Hangar Nine Cirrus, the thirty cc. Yeah, and yeah, you can't get them. No, no. I, I got that plane. The reason why I got that plane it was like a fortieth birthday present for me many many years ago. And yes, it had to fit in the back of my car 
in my my Volkswagen Amarok Ute. And I liked the Cessna, the Hangar 9 Cessna that was also a 30cc. I always loved scale Cessnas, but it wouldn't fit in the back of the car. And I didn't have a trailer at that stage. And so I ended up getting the Cirrus and it had a composite fuselage and it looked really great. Um, and gee, it flew, flies pretty fast. Um, but then I passed it on because I really liked aerobatic planes. Yeah, I know. And I was getting yeah. bored of it. And then you, yeah. you you took it off my hands quite graciously. By the way, I think I found the manual somewhere. It's here, I think. Oh, I don't know. No, I've got the manual. You got the manual? To me. Okay, good. Yeah. yeah. No, that's another aeroplane I'm, t- I'm thinking of. Um, I'm trying to think if there's something I found for that. No, if I did, I'll give it to you. Yeah, yeah so you got that. You've flown that though, haven't you? It's flown, yeah, and it's nice. And I've taken photos of it. And sorry, I'm not selling it. It's no. a beautiful looking plane is, on the ground. It's lovely. And it gets a lot of looks at you know, at the club, yeah, and really good. And there's people have offered me money for it, but I said no. Nah, that was built by um, a friend of mine, Adrian Coro. He built it, and he's and I got him to build it because he's a really good builder. Like, and he, yeah, very meticulous. Yep. He he said it wasn't an easy build. He said it was very tedious, and they mucked up a few things that he had to fix and and that kind of stuff. But that was um, that was built to a pretty decent level. That so, you know, I'm glad that you got it and paid, oh, paid me money for it, so I could make you poorer and me richer. Yeah, that's all right. That's what yeah. we do in the business, don't we? Really. That's right. What else? Cubs. Cubs, yes. Yes. I've had, okay, I've had, I've got a, a carbon cub, which is a Hangar 9 carbon cub. That's a 60cc, isn't it? No, that's, um, that was. Oh, no, no, no. Like. I know the one. That's the, 20, yellow, the 20cc. Yeah, it was um the yellow, no, yellow and silver and black one. Yes. And it only came out with a 15cc. It was very yeah. underpowered. Um, so what we did, um, I was going to move it on, but um, I decided, and I had a, a spare engine floating around, a 30 twin, <laughs> right, RCGF, and Adam put it in. And this thing, buddy, this is great. And we've actually made all the undercarriage like, um, or like really agricultural, like it's a full on, you know, stole plane now. You you put RC car shocks on it, didn't you? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's red, red shocks on it. And it's, um, Really nice. Do they actually work? Three blade rubber. Yeah. Oh, yeah, they do. Yeah, yeah, they do. So you can. So that's you can yeah. plonk it in from a great height and. Yeah, oh, it just takes off so so quick. It's nice too. Tracks down the runway, nice. How did you go with the weight change from the, the to the bigger engine? Pretty good actually. I think we had to put a little bit of tail weight on the on the back. Not much though. So yeah, it was pretty. It was yeah, but it's it's got it's got balls in it. It goes. How do you how do you find that twin that thirty cc twin? Okay. Yeah, okay. It's got a lot of lot of um must have been one of the old ones that they ran, not the Stinger motors. Yeah. Yeah, but um that's that's fine. It starts all the time and you know, that's it's fine. What else is there? Well, I, I did have a um the X Cub, the big sixty CC X Cub. Yeah. I moved that on. Yeah, I moved that on. How did you find that? Because I've heard good reports about them. It was okay. We we put power like when you I reckon there was something wrong with the kit. Because when we flew it, you put the power on and the thing will die. It was oh. actually trying to fall out of the sky. So, but you just had to compensate with it. You're always on the sticks compensating with it. Was it a thrust line issue maybe or? Could be, yeah. Could it was be. pulling down or yeah. something? Yeah, it was pulling down. You could have fixed that. A couple of washes. Yeah. yeah. No, I ended up moving it on. But I moved it on to one of Adam's mates. See, he's got it now. But they'll, they'll fix it. and. But it, it's done hardly any work, that thing. And um, that's got a 60, 
think it's a 62, the, the Evolution 62, isn't it? Oh, okay. Yeah. And another car, which is I haven't started building yet, which is the Hangar 9, still in the box, PA, the Quartz Scale PA Super Cup, the blue and white one. Oh, you got one of those. Got one of those, still the bi- in the box. The big one? The big one, yeah. Four metre. Seven metre. Yeah. Right. What's the wingspan? About 2.7. Okay, yeah. yeah, yeah. It's 2.69 or something. Yeah. Yeah, and that's really nice, and that that's got to be full scale. Yeah. So I've still got to, you know, but I got rid of the other one. But the two decathlons, you know, I'm hoping to sell the other pilot one. So you don't have an issue in moving on planes, do you? Sometimes I need room in the shed. <laughs> well, yeah, it, it's cheaper to sell the planes and find a bigger shed, isn't it? Some some of the planes get very sentimental to me, like that carbon carb, which is the yellow and black one. Oh, that was my first power plant I ever built. And Adam used to come over on a Wednesday night, you know, and I'd be having a few beers and he'd be bloody working on the plane and we'd talk and, you know, and it was a good night actually, just on Wednesday nights for a couple of hours. And and um, we got it going and we flew it and it was all underpowered. What what else is there? The I've got a glass air. I don't know what. Oh, yeah. Yeah, the glass air. Aren't they heavy? No, this, this has got a, a, a twin 30 on it, Stinger. It hasn't flown yet, but it's a glass air that's See? a load. This is the story of your life. You've got all these planes that you yeah. haven't flown. Oh, no. That's what I do. I am. I'm a collector. <laughs> a dust. You know what you are? You're a dust collector. That's what you're doing. You've got yeah. models there that are just collecting oh, no. dust. Well, look, you know oh, what? No. I can't. I can't. I'm in the same boat, though. It's bad. I, look, I, I can't have a go. I'm sorry. I have to apologise because got, I've got 100cc there that I've had for, like, years, and I've done one flight on it. Yeah. You know, I, I, and, yeah, I've got. I've got a, a discus launch glider that's been sitting there for probably four years and I haven't even thrown it yet. Yeah. Because we're very, very busy people. I know. My wife says, oh, you don't fly, I'm just selling them. I go, no, I can't do that. Yeah, that's that's too sensible for we aero modelers. Oh, I know. There was one plane that I did regret, regret on selling and that was I had the um the Hangar 9 RV4, the blue and white one. They're good. They are very good. I love, uh, you know, I, I always say there's certain planes that look really realistic in the air, like Cessnas, yeah. um, Pawnees, yep. um, and then uh, the RVs. It's that that low yep. wing with the dihedral, the big, big wing on it. You you just look at that plane and you go, it's going to fly well. But what, what size was yours? Um, I think they're about 2.2 or something. There was, oh, the was it like a 30cc'er? Yes, yes, 33, yeah. I spoke to someone that's had one and they said that they had engine heating problems in okay. the car. Yeah. Did you have experience yep. any of that? No, no. Well, um, well you didn't oh, fly. It didn't fly. Yeah, I never flew it. Because <laughs> we had COVID and all that. Man, what you kind know, of so podcast guest are you? I had a plane, but I never flew it. I you, know. <laughs> you, just, you know what you should get into? Plastic kits. <laughs> no, thanks. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I like tinkering out in the shed. You know, and I, I look at the. I know. I need to. I need to fly. Tell me a bit about that. Like, um, you say you like tinkering in the shed. At what level? You know, are we talking grabbing a kit and building something, or grabbing your ARF and trying to spruce it up a bit. I do like building. I like building ARFs. Probably build them up to about eighty percent to ninety percent. Like build the actual plane, and then I, I hand it on to um Adam, and he he actually does all the he does all the magic on it. You know, like he. he does all the fitting of all the – oh, I think the engines. I think he even puts in the engine and runs the, the lines and, you know, the fuel tank and all yeah. this type of stuff. Look, I could probably do it. But he, he, he actually builds nice kits and he, and his finishing is very good. Yeah. 
Uh, it's like your mate. Are you, are you adding any other detail or anything like that? Yes, yes, I'm very particular in, um, like, I'd be, yeah, I, I could say that, you know, like, I'm um, doing painting bits and pieces, you know, like painting the interiors or the cockpits and, yeah, but you can't do a lot with ARFs, can you, really? Well, it depends. I think with the ARFs, um, one area that you can pay a lot of attention to is, like, cockpit area, especially on scale planes of, you know, doing cockpits and pilot figurines and, you know, there's a mate of mine that, the president of the Peanut Gallery, who's done an amazing job with the Hangar Nine Decathlon, I, and I know I've amazing seen that, interior, seen that. and yeah. you know, and his wife goes and does all the upholstery and stuff like that. So you can sort of, you know, you can add a, a fair bit. Look, take someone like um, Melissa Law that we've had on the podcast before. It flies at our field, and um, how she grabbed the decathlon and recovered it and scaled it all up. So, you know, I was I, I mentioned this maybe a few weeks back, where a friend of mine's bought a, a black horse Focke-Wulf. 100cc and it's a great airframe it's just got that covering though which is like a printed vinyl and that lets it down but the actual frame is really good uh really really good and that'd be the kind of project that if you really want to scale it up you'd rip all the covering off and redo it and paint it properly and 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 it would it would be a beautiful scale plane you know all the, a lot of the hard work's done but then you could really finish that kind of plane off if you really wanted to make that effort and you had that time and that inclination. But um so yeah, I reckon I reckon there's a fair bit you can if you want, but you know. I've actually got the uh, the cockpit kit for um the super cup yeah, where it yeah. come out through Yeah. So I've actually got that. I'm finding that some of these cockpits that you get with your ARFs are pretty poxy. That they um, are. You know, they are. I'm cracks, looking at yeah. I'm looking at getting one put together from one of my models and really think about how to do it, whether you 3D print something, you know, because 3D printing is just sort of changing the game. We had a guy on last week's or a couple of weeks ago podcast, um, uh, Grant Aston, and, and and he's actually building all the parts that, that like to be like the full size wow. inside the cockpits. Oh. All the metal work, he makes it to be oh. as lifelike as possible. But it's three months to do a few parts. You know, it's a lot... I admire those people that have that patience. I don't think you and I have that patience. Yeah. You know. <laughs> I like to, um, like, I, I get a, the kit in basic form and, like, I'd, I'd paint the um, all the firewalls and stuff like that, you know, where the motor gets, you know, but that's sort of basic. Yeah, I do. You know what I do with my, my, my petrol-powered planes? I get 24-hour epoxy and I do a 50-50 mix with methylated spirits, right? So it thins out the, the, the glue and then I use a brush and I paint it on all over the engine box and stuff like that, almost like to seal it from fuel or, you know, especially if I'm running smoke or something like that, as much as I can to sort of protect it because sometimes you get fuel leaks. I've had fuel leaks in planes and stuff like that if something comes off. And you let it dry overnight, and what you end up getting is like this glossy sheen totally sealed up all around the engine, you know, that motor box and all that kind of stuff. And it actually – and that's my mate Adrian Coro put me onto that. And with my 100cc, I actually – took that further into the inside of the plane as well, where, where anywhere where there might be fuel. I, yes. I did, and even to the canister tunnel underneath because I was going to run smoke on that plane, I thought everywhere I can get it in there. And it doesn't add a lot of weight because you're really, you know, you're really thinning it down and putting a light light coat on. But that's my little tip. I'd like to thank Adrian Coro for that tip. And it, uh, it's yeah. Cool. My Victor Air Tourers, they've, they've got all that, like that varnish or whatever they got on the firewalls and stuff. And, but that's, that's old school. They're old school kits. Like the, the stuff they got these days, the new Hangar 9 kits, they're just put in 
together in a factory and, you know, there's not enough glue on the joints and you've really got to go over all your glue joints. And you- But that's it. You know, it's all our fault because we want cheap, right? And so and, – and they're assembly lines. All these factories are assembly lines where, you know, um, the, the lady or the, uh, you know, the man sitting at the station just doing – Doing one thing and repeating, I admire that. That, that it's always generally ladies because they're better at it. They've got you know, yeah. fine motor skills are better or something. But they do the covering and I, and they do it with like proper big irons, not these hobby irons and whatever. I use hobby irons a little bit for some of the, little bit, but they can cover a whole wing with just a normal iron. And man, this skill that they've got. But they've done hundreds and thousands of, of planes. Yeah, so those girls, the covering jobs are really good. Yeah, like I, I couldn't match. I couldn't like. I always wanted a, a um a decathlon, but I, I always thought to myself, "How am I going to cover it? There's no hope in hell. I'd botch it like nothing on earth." So I do admire these people that can have got good covering skills, and I think it's almost I've like two camps. Yeah, I know, but it's big. I've got one for sale. Yeah, I know it's, it's three point one. Yeah, thank you, but it's too big. Where am I going to put that? In your trailer. <laughs> well, I have to sell something else then because I've got no more room yeah, in the trailer. I know. I know. Yeah, so anyway, that goes up on RC Trader. Well, I'll keep an eye out for it and see if you can yeah, get somebody else. Yeah, so hopefully. Be nice. There's another thing I want to talk to you about, right? And yes, It leads yeah. us on to some of the um, the um, the Cubs and kind of planes, which is a few years back now. It's probably two, two, two and a half years, maybe three years, where you organised Australia's first RC plane stole event, right, down at our club, down at Pakenham, and it was a phenomenal success. It was. All right. It was because it was not just about the fl- the flying was fun, but the food was good and it was just a whole, it was a proper event, a one-day event. Tell us a bit about that from the idea and then through the getting the day up and running. I was down at um the hobby shop at the Hobby Man and um saying, I normally went and saw Adam there on a Saturday afternoon and, and I was telling him about because we, we flew my carbon cub and um I said, you know, it wasn't flying that well because I had the 15 in it. And I said, look, I've got the 30 at home. Why don't we put it in? And he goes, yeah, this is good. And um, we'll make it fully agricultural. We'll put all these, you know, the, the shocks on it and all that. And I said, yeah, just just go do whatever. And he goes, you know what we need to do? We need to run a stole event. Because back then, you know, all, all these, what's his name? Um, Palmer, you know, what, what's his name? The guy does the YouTube stuff. and Yeah, Trent Palmer. Yeah, Trent Palmer, yeah. And then all, all the stole planes like are coming Katie out. And all, and, yep. uh, yeah, all those. And everyone was sort of getting into those that, and I'm um, thinking we need to do a comp at the at the field. And I said, "Yep, go for it." And um, so that's how it started. And that was that was just before COVID, I think it wasn't. It, it was about yes, it was before COVID. Yeah, yeah, just before. Yeah, shame. Yeah, or else f- we would have ran one. Yeah, yeah, that's right. It was February but, or something like that. Yeah. yeah, but um, now all that's over. You know, we we did. We have talked about running another one, so well, another, okay. Yeah. I, I helped out a little bit, so I know what the concept you was. You did, but, you did, mate. So yeah, we had I, there were two competitions, weren't they? Describe the competitions. Yes. Well, there was a short takeoff landing one, I believe, and which was, was a, what? Wait a second, which was what? Explain what that was. So you, you, okay. you painted lines on the strip. Oh yes, okay. We had um, we had painted lines across the the strip, and um, basically you bought it was any sort of foam. Uh, foam cab scale cab or any any scale plane style whatever plane, yeah style style plane you can whatever you wanted to use I think there was Wilgers there there was cabs there was foamies there was yeah. all the, anyway anyways and, yeah. tundras you know with with big ass wheels on them and stuff like yeah. that and that. um anyway so basically for the the takeoff 
just got to remember, you, you take off uh, and fly around on a certain, you, you, you land across the line in the shortest time, I think. Is that how it? Yeah, shortest distance. So, yeah, so it was, we had judges on the line um, estimating the um, the takeoff roll and get to, you know, the plane right. get in the air. And then, yeah, it was, it was almost like a spit of a spot landing, but yeah, then the rollout, and then you sort of tallied up the scores, and and you ran multiple rounds, and there were there's a foam category, and then there was a bolsa category as well. That's the foamy that's one right. was was good, and um, and then the second one was what that was um spot landing. That was a, a spot landing, yes, and like you fly around, or you, and then you sort of try and land on the spot, and quite a few people did it. They got really good, and yeah. Well, that was that was where you had to do three circuits, didn't you? That's right. That's yeah. right. Yeah. I remember that. But there might, be, there might be other ideas in there now, you know, other different ways of doing stuff. So, Well, do you know what? I think. You should help us again, Andrew. What do I get for yeah. it? Pain yeah. and suffering. That's what I get. Yeah. But no, you what we it. did is you're a good, you good MC. Well, let's well, let's share what our thought was because <laughs> Adam, yourself, and myself had a bit of a catch up about the event, and and right. one of my recommendations, because I'm a legend, was um, that we should <laughs> make it into an, a, a a very sort of get everybody fired up, create an atmosphere that people are going to really enjoy and embrace and want to come back again. Yep. So one of the things that we did is at our club we've got quite a big pit area and there's a big distance between, say, the clubhouse and, and the strip. So I said to Craig, what we want to do is we want everybody to pit closer to the runway. Right? Still, yep. We were still within regs. We're not breaking any rules here. but And the whole idea was to keep the group together because we encouraged heckling. Right, that we wanted, yeah. we wanted crowd participation. So we had music playing. I think from memory, we may have had some music we playing. Did. Yeah, we did. Yeah. And I said, I'll do the MC yeah. and I'll egg people on. Right, and and so the whole idea was to keep the group together. You know, because you know what happens at Funfly events. You go off and talk to your mates a hundred meters away from the action. Then you come for a fly. Then you go back to your little group and you keep on coming back. The whole idea was to keep everybody together. Then. The food, the food was an important part that, um, and it was phenomenal. You'd organised all this food there, and that all yep. the, all the pilots could could access, and um, so we had that that sort of break, and then we came back in the afternoon, and did that the, the spot landing the kind spot. of stuff, and it was yeah. action aplenty. It was like there was no lull in the proceedings, and it did no. help that we had perfect weather, didn't we? It was just oh, actually, the weather was awesome. Yeah, I've got the, the video. Off. I forgot. Go to the Flat Out RC YouTube channel and look up the Stole Comp, and you'll see it there that I actually videoed the day, and it was uh, it was a phenomenal experience. And it was just a one day event, and 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 you guys did a really good job to just get the day up and running, um, and and we had a really good turnout, didn't we? It was yeah. it was a well supported event. Remember, yeah, other clubs that come along, which was really good. Yeah, and, uh, we we advertised it. I think it was advertised through Facebook and through. Um, just I don't know. Well, it must Adam organise all that? Yeah, yeah. All. We had a bit of yeah. Yeah, promotion. Oh, you did your promotion video as well. And that really helped. That was did I? Yeah, that that was yeah. You did the promotion video. So I'd say it. it's all my fault, is it? Yeah, it's all your fault. What did I get for it? it? Nothing. Uh, pain and heartache. I gave you lunch, <sighs> and I gave you the microphone for the day. Great. Actually, you know what happened? <laughs> uh, at the uh, last week's, um, or a couple of weeks ago now, when this podcast goes live, um, at the Benzel event, uh, Tony Wilson says to me, the secretary, we need someone to do an auction. And I go, okay, I'll do it. Great. No microphone this time. But I, I ran oh, the auction. Okay. I've done it before, actually. Run the terrible 
auctions at events just don't work. It's too hard. Yeah. It's too hard. <laughs> but anyway, yeah. um, that that was um, yeah, that week that was a week that um, Edo passed away, didn't he? A couple of weeks prior, was, yeah. yeah, it was two weeks, two weeks yeah, after, and we we had yeah. an award, I think, didn't we? We handed That's out an award, right, yeah. which he yeah. would have been chuffed because he was a big fan of the stole planes. He'd actually flown um a full size uh, oh really cub um down Western Port Bay, landing on French Island, I think. Oh no. And uh, there's actually video of him coming in for touch and goes and stuff like that. So he loved, loved the stole thing, and and they'd actually done a stole comp down at Tyab with full size, as well. Uh, um, before that, one and of the so, extra. Yeah, yeah, so he would have been um, pretty chuffed about that whole uh, that whole event. So um, nah, that was that was a, that was. Hopefully, we can get that up again. Yes, it's in the pipeline, and now we're uh, with all this bloody um flooding and stuff, you know. So um, well, yeah. yeah. Let, let's talk a bit about that. I want to I want to get your opinion on some stuff because um, well I've I've mentioned multiple times in this podcast the past month how much rain we've had and it just seems to just keep on following us and the club we were a member of is is subject to flooding because there's a creek that is not maintained well enough by Melbourne Water so it, it clogs up and right. under you know the the it can't handle the water flow under severe sort of showers and. Uh, and so we get underwater. So you're you're actually hold the position. What's your your title? You're, are you the? I'm field manager down there. Field manager. I'm I'm, field. I've... Yeah, I look after the field. Yeah, I, I'm, I actually put all the crews together to we we basically just do all the maintenance, like all the grass cutting and um, spraying of the drains, and yeah, basically keeping the place tidy. I have my, really my nice. term here that I've got in my notes is you are the chief grass cutter. Oh, Right. Thanks, so you organise everything. So I want to just talk to you about um, field okay. maintenance because I, I really, like I was at the Bensdale Club at their event and it was immaculate. And, and you know, I've been to a lot of other clubs where, especially for events, they really make an, a phenomenal effort to, to spruce up their fields and it's it's a lot of work. I just look at it and I appreciate the effort that people go to to, to put those events on and, and make those fields immaculate. Tell us a bit about, about the work that's required to maintain a field just in, in, in general. Okay, so we have um, three strips, as you know, and, and surrounding areas, pits and right down to the front of the road there. Um, but what we have is about 10, 10, crew to, 10 crew members. The field gets cut every either – it gets cut once a week, either Thursday or a Friday because the majority of people come on the weekends and they fly. So um, – and basically um, they take it in turns. One will do the strips on – on the big machine and the other ones will just do the pits on the on the small machine, you know, the mowers, right on mowers. And um and so they do that and they probably spend they probably start about nine o'clock and they probably spend up to about midday. It's just quite a few hours of cutting grass there. You know, and then some go the extra effort and do a little bit more. Um like they're just more experienced fellas. But it's it's a big job. Well, we've got different seasons through the year with different different growing seasons, right? So we know that winter the grass doesn't grow as quickly, but then when we get into springtime, we get this massive burst. Oh, yes. Like, what happens in that that growing season? Like, is it once a week is enough, or or what? Actually, in the growing season, the runways probably need to be cut twice a week because the it should be cut every about three three four days. Like, we can walk away there on the Thursday, and by Sunday it needs another cut. Yeah. Get us through till the next Thursday or the Friday, whatever. And then we also we roll the we roll the runways as well. Tell us a bit about the conditions that you need to be able to roll the strips. Basically, the runways need to be 
well, one, not flooded, but um, and so we can get mowers on there. And also for rolling them, we want them nice and soft. So um, because we're on like a peat, peat clay soil, like that black soil, they, they grow asparagus in it down down the road. Like it's all asparagus, it's a floodplain and all that. So anyway, they um, but the ideal conditions are is that it's nice and soft. And um, just previously, like to get our field back open again, we um, we cut on Thursday, organise a crew down there. We live close. We spent all day and I end up having to cut double cut the runways because it was oh, that cause... long. It was that long. We double cut and we swept all the grass onto the edges and all that. And there were some areas we couldn't get to because they were just still underwater. Anyway, and then we had our um, working bee on just a Saturday. How effective is the roller? It's good. It's really good. If the ground's soft, it, it actually it's like a bowling green. But what but what it does though, it's 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 not a roller's not getting rid of the undulations. You need to grade it, wouldn't you, to get rid of the undulations that appear well, on the strip? But yeah, like it. it Ideally, it probably needs to be laser, you know, laser graded. leveled that type of thing, graded and all that. But we just got to work with what we've got, and for yeah. the time being, yeah. And um, but the roller is very effective, and um, especially for the the weekend, like we rolled the the runways on on Saturday, and they're just like a um, just like a bowling. The jets were taken off. They were taken off in the afternoon with little wheels. They were taken off and and rolling out and all this, and it was beautiful. And I haven't heard um. The comments were coming back from the guys. They go, "This is awesome." What about weed management? Yes, we we do a lot of the um the broadleaf spraying of you get a lot of you know flat weed and um clover and you get all these different you know the winter. Is it like a weed and feed kind of situation or? No, we we probably spray a good couple of times a year, and um, we use like a um a broadleaf sort of spectrum spray and you know we, we run around and um one of our members in the mowing team he does all that and he does all the pits area as well. And um, he's he's you know competent doing that, and um, um, but then we come into um summertime where we got to do fire cuts, you know, because we're all surrounded by farmland, and if the grass fire went through there, it would be stuff. But we keep the grass like we do all fire cuts around the fence lines and stuff like that. Um, we we spray our um glyphosate, which is you basically like your roundup, you know, from Bunnings and all that, mm. and um, and we spray all the drains out, and um, you know, spray around the sheds and stuff like that you know so um it always looks like honestly it's always looks pretty good down there i i, I do give you heaps don't i you do mate you i do. always yeah, I, I grab fine. craig and i say look craig bend down with me and just look at what i'm seeing when you look down across the slope there there's all these divots everywhere right can you please get your team onto it you know yeah but, you know the, but there's also the other side to to besides the cutting of the grass and the, that the the physical labor that you do around the field that is maintenance of the equipment which i think is is something that all clubs need to manage and is never spoken about how much maintenance work do you have to do on on oh, the mowers mate, oh there's maintenance galore on those machines there's always um well i get service once a year you know by an outsider he comes on site um and they they'll do like a full um like maintenance on them like change blades on the machines oils filters and all that type of stuff what else is there? Maintenance. Um, there's a lot of greasing on the machines, and that that's that's ongoing. You don't just grease it once a year. That's ongoing. Mm. You know, especially in the dry, the dry sort of season, you need to because the dust gets into this through the you know grease and through mm. the nipples and stuff like that. And um, what else is there? You know, like washing the machines, keep it you know keep them all clean and um, just keep them you know checking tires on the 
on the machines, you know, before you and do your, we do pre-starts. What I've ran down there is um, we've ran like induction days for all the mowing crew where they come in and we do it, spend a day going all the safety features and around the shed and on the mowers and machine and we might do a bit of mowing practice, especially for the newbies who want to come on the mowing team and um, we're always looking for new members come onto the mowing team as well. You know, I think we've got about 10, 10 blokes at the moment, but we can always accommodate more, which is really good. And um, even you, Andrew, but I'm not. I've I, I wouldn't you. want a table. I want a table tennis table. Be it, but I keep on. I keep on saying, Craig says when you joined the mowing roster, I said, "Well, get me a table tennis <laughs> table down there. I can play table." But I've told you, at this stage of my life, I just don't have the time to go, and because I'm not near the field either. Like it's, it's an hour and a half round trip for me minimum to just you know get there and back kind of thing, and and I just don't have the time because. But I I do enjoy cutting grass, and yeah. my time will come. When I'm retired, I will be on the mowing ross and I'm going to say to my wife, I'm going out to the strip. It's my mowing turn, right? And I'm going to, I'm going to put my, my headphones on and listen to reruns of the Flat Out RC podcast. And I'm That's going to it. go drive the, that mower up and down, right? And you and I will be there and we'll be reminiscing about the good old days, right? And I can't yep. wait to do that. I, I, that's one thing that I, I do look forward to being able to do when the time arises. And that's why when you look at a lot of your demographic that's on the mowing roster, a lot of them are retired and stuff like that because they can commit the they time. They are. And, and that's, just, that's just sheer reality. Like if I started to um, lose income because I was cutting the grass, I don't think my family is going to be really too pleased. And so you know, it's just a matter of priorities really. But, um, but I do respect and admire all those that are involved in, in maintaining, as I said earlier, because oh. I, I just – Next time, if everyone listening out there, no matter where you are around the world, I want you to, next time you drive to your flying club and you drive down that driveway and you look at that runway, just remember someone made a massive effort to have that runway there, whether it be to build it, to, to foster it, to maintain it, to do whatever. So just you know, take the moment to go, aren't we lucky that we've got people that volunteer their time? Because you, you you, you'd be there every week, wouldn't you? Yeah, I um. Like I, yeah, I am there every week. Every Saturday, I'm I'm always there, and I'm probably doing a little bit around the the field. Like I'm, I'll do either brush cutting under trees or something, or brush cutting around the fence lines or at the front of the gate. I, I believe. See, I've done grounds all my life, and I've done parks and gardens, and um, presentation is very very high to me. You know, I've, I've you know detail and all this type of stuff, and and that's the way I've, I've grown up with it. You pretty much work in the industry now, don't you? I do. Yes, yeah. I do. Outside of the the field work. Yes, outside the field, down at Unpacking um, Racing Club, at the moment doing there, and um, also doing a bit of work down at Anco Turf Farm as well, driving their machinery and stuff as well. So you got a bit of experience. And, uh, you used to work at Puffing Billy, the steam train as well. That's cool. Steam trains are my yeah, they're they're beautiful steam trains, and now they're actually starting to run along. The main line now again, which is really good, the big, the big stuff. But um, yeah, no, I volunteer up at Puff and Billy for over about twenty-seven years as a fireman. I didn't go on to do driving, but I, I did drive the engines and the trains and stuff. But yeah, that was that was good, you know. But um, when COVID hit, because they they end up putting me up there as casual, and then um, once COVID hit, they the trains didn't run, so I, did, I had to look for something else. So I went back and did grounds. So you always kept busy, and it sounds like you enjoy you know your hobbies kind of thing, you know. Have you had any other hobbies outside of flying? Well, I used to like going four-wheel driving and camping and, and all this type of stuff, but I haven't got rid of the four-wheel drive. Well, the automatic blew up on that, so I had to get rid of it. <laughs> and I'll get one, so, but I would like to get another one. So, um, 
But um, yeah, I miss all the high country. You know, it's a beautiful, beautiful, lovely land. You know, I get up there a bit, and it is a good. It's a bit wet up there at the moment. It is a bit, and um, the rivers will be up, and um, but yeah, like um, I love all that. Um, what else do I do? Tink around in the shed, you know, and just come out here and look at all my planes and go, yeah, I've got to fly that one day. Yeah, I'll get around to that. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Does your wife complain about all the stuff in the shed? Yeah, she goes, how come you've got a big shed and you've got all your planes in there and I don't have anything of mine in there? And so, and I'll go, well, I gave you one of the rooms as, as, as an art room. You know, she does a, yeah. <laughs> Can you um just make yes, sure mate. that my wife and your wife never meet each other? <laughs> because they'll sit there and gang up on us because my wife says exactly yeah. the same thing. Yeah. And yeah. I, my standard response is, well, just because I'm into cool things and you're not. Yeah, I know. Right? Can't <laughs> hold it against me. But, you know, it, it's it's one of those consequences of these hobbies that takes up space. It does. You need room yeah. to be able to do what we do. Yeah. And you know what? Yeah. The plane's got bigger. But I still, you know what? A few episodes back, four or so episodes back, Jason Arnold was a guest and he flies Patton and he literally said he has only one plane. I'm still amazed at that. He literally owns one plane. And you know what I keep on saying to people? Imagine if you just owned one plane and it was a glider. Yeah. How, how easy would that be? It takes yeah. up hardly any room to store it. Get it in your yeah, car, no problem, right? You don't need all the paraphernalia that goes that goes with all the other planes. I think wouldn't oh. life be simple if we just had that? Yes, I know. Yeah. Well, I used to only have about two or three gliders, and that was good. But then power planes come along, and, and you then go, that's it. Oh, and then you know you, you get money, and you go, you know, you work, you get money. You go, oh, what am I buying that? And new ones come out, and all these ARFs, you know, they're the latest thing. And at, at this point in time, I'm, I, I always say that you can tell the state of the economy in Australia by what's happening at a model flying field, and you know. At some of the events I've been to lately, some people are spending a lot of money on model airplanes, and not just one, but multiples. And to me, I sit there back and think, "Gee, we live in a good country where it's just not one or two modelers that have copious amounts of planes. It's most of them that you know we're we're all very very lucky to be in the situation that we are where we can earn enough money to go and spend." unreasonable amounts of money on on model planes. Like if you go to the average punter that's not involved in flying model planes, say, yeah, I just bought a jet. It cost me $10,000. 10000 You used to be able to buy a car for $10,000 or second hand yeah. at least, right? Yeah. Like we're talking and that's what people will do. They'll compare go, $10,000 for something that you can crash. Yeah. yeah. Some of my planes are worth more than my car at the moment. <laughs> you know? That's how stupid we are. But, but it just shows you that, oh, you know, we we are very very fortunate to be able to to, to live in this country of Australia, ours, and we, we have listeners from all around the world who will be listening into this, and and you know there's other countries that are that are that are you know just as lucky as us kind of thing, but then there's other countries where people would dream to have the opportunities that we have. So that's why I think uh, let's not take it for granted, people, that uh, we just live in a in a very fortunate time in a very fortunate situation. So uh, we we don't really have we don't have we can't complain, can we? No, true. And um, you know, one of my things I love about gliding, I know it's going back a bit, but I just love sitting up on a high hill and you throw that glider off and you just sit back in your either your armchair or, or oh, not your armchair, you yeah. on just your little little backpack chair thing and um and you just fly along and you can stay up there for an hour and that and that's very, very relaxing. 
Yeah, yeah, I I do love. I was I was driving through the countryside and you look at those paddocks and go, wouldn't it be nice to gl- go gliding there? I, I rarely would see a paddock and go, wouldn't it be great to do some aerobatics in that paddock? It's like that vision of the calmness of just sitting there and flying a glider. Um, it's something that I, I really, really, really enjoy. And um, Yeah, it's relaxing. It, some people just don't like that though. They like the more fast. Like, you know those people that love fast planes? You know, yes. I'm just going to fly a flat stick. I don't need a throttle. I just need a switch. You know, it's either on or it's off. Um, and those people really like getting into the gliding thing, but I think that peacefulness and and be and flying in your surroundings, you know what I mean? That you've got to pay attention to where the lift might be, and you're really in tune with where you are. But um, oh, yeah, you always watch where the birds go. That's right. Yeah, the birds. You know, it's and it's amazing. I actually, I literally, I was flying a disc, a tiny little discus launch glider up where, near where I've got a house up in the country, and and out of the corner of my eye, I saw these birds sort of getting into a bit of a thermal and I, I had enough height to head in that direction and that led me to my record flight of four minutes. Oh, you know, these little one-meter no. glider didn't like staying up but that I doubled my best flight time ever in that one flight because I'm going, wait a second, there's birds over there. And, it, and it's not always the case though when the birds come in but when they do, oh, it's – and you know what? Once I was watching a couple of eagles, I think they were, in a thermal. And they got serious height. I'm talking 2,000 foot up, right? It was serious. This thing didn't flap its wings for over 10 minutes, right? There were two of them. And, <laughs> and some mates of mine were there sitting out the balcony looking out of the back of, you know, over the hills and these eagles going up. And and then they, they'd get to a certain height and they just made a beeline for somewhere else. It's like they got height to go somewhere else. And, um, and the first one did it and the second one pretty much the same spot once it got to that height did it as well. But can you imagine those birds flying along just feeling the lift? That is just like that just oh, – I'm doing a lot of like reminiscing and deep spiritual thinking here in this podcast. You bring it out in me, Craig. <laughs> That's all right, mate. <laughs> yeah, I know. But I do I, I do like my gliding and, um, you know, especially when the field's been closed and I found a local hill around where I live and – um. You know, but now these all these new gliders have all got motors on the front of them. But I've mm. still got a lot of the old school gliders where there's no no motors. You know, you just yeah, throw them off and yeah, out into the just a, wide open. Yeah. Hopefully, hope it stays up. Yeah. So, um, well, what's your dream model? Dream model. Oh, I'm talking about plane here. I'm not talking about um, <laughs> anything else. My dream model. I just. I get very um, – I, I do like my decathlons, but I really would like um, – I want a plane all decked out, as in you see some of the modellers down the field and, you know, on, on your videos and that, and the amount of work that goes into them um, is unbelievable, you know, but I'd really – yeah. Have you got a particular model? Any particular Airframe? Model? Yes. I would – probably my Victor Air Tourer. Yeah. I'd like to see a big version of that done. Oh, that'd be nice. Or, yes. Oh, that. Yes, you know what? I never thought that of that. Was, Sorry, mate. I never thought of that. But some, well, um, Noel Whitehead has a big plane that's sort of Victor Tourish. I can never remember. CT four, isn't it, or something? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. It's Victor Tourish, yeah. right? It's, yeah. It's similar vein, but that'd be oh, that'd translate really well in a big size. 
yeah, I'm surprised I haven't done one yet. I wonder whether you can find a plan and get a cut, a kit cut, or something like that. Well, apparently there's some bloke up in Canberra or something, and he was making a big one, a big version of the the Victor Air Tour or the CT4 or whatever you want to. Okay, call so them. that's our plan yeah. for because we're similarish kind of age. That when we're in our retirement, I'm going to build a super cheap monk, and you're going to build the Victor Air Tour, and we can compare notes whilst we're cutting the strip. I like. I like Decathlons, I reckon they're, they're a beautiful thing, high wing thing. Yeah, I love decathlons, you know? always have. Yeah, yeah. They fly and so that, yeah. Go and have a look at the, um. for anybody that hasn't seen the the um, um, Warbirds over Bairnsdale video, and you'll see my mate, the Peanut Gallery, Dominic Gais, who's um, he's the president of the Peanut Gallery. He's uh, one of his hanging on decathlons, and his mate Mario, um, Parcheseppi, who's been on the Parcheseppi, as I like to call him, who's been on the podcast as well. He Mario bought a um, a skydiver that yep. um attaches to they attach to the the struts of the decathlon and Dominic flies the decathlon up and then they press a release and the skydiver drops down and the parachute pops out and you can fly I it all the way that. down and it's it's phenomenal and it works really well on the decathlon because you just hang it out there on the strut and what their aim is they know another guy that's got one and they want to put two onto the one plane on each strut. And um, they'll take the plane up and then drop the skydivers. It is everybody had a smile on their face seeing that. It was it was amazing. But one of the one of the uh, one of the um, releases didn't go to plan. That the the um, parachute didn't. Well, it came out, but it was a little bit tangled. You know, it came down safely, no dramas. But there was a bit of a lack of control on the descent. But um, you got to pack that. You got to pack the parachute properly so that it comes out. So it's like the full size thing. It's amazing. I then, like um. I like Spitfires and I like Mustangs as well. They're oh, nice. They're so, a little bit. Yeah, I'm, I like Mustangs. Um, Especially a nice size one. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you what, that brings us to the final question, which is going to be okay. an interesting one because you've covered a lot of lot of categories of models that you like, but it's that yeah. question that everybody can't wait to hear the answer to, Craig. Yeah. Okay, is, what has been your favourite model? My favourite model, or I have to say, my Victor Air Tourer. Uh, no, I I can't fault it. It flies nice. I just can't cannot fault it. it it's just it's really nice, especially with that twenty one cc in it, the twin. It just puts around and it is. Just, What's the wingspan yeah. on it? Oh, it's only about seven hundred. It's only small. This is why I say I'd like to go bigger. But it floats around yeah. though, doesn't it? Yeah, it does, and it's like a, I'd I'd like Cessnas as well. The big foamy Cessna, that, that's nice, but um, it'd be nice to try and get one in, in balsa oh, version. Don't do a Norm Morris on me and start putting more categories into this. It's the favourite oh, model. Okay. <laughs> right, you've gone to the foamy category yeah. now. But um, and yeah. amazing, actually, those foamies, those, they're pretty big, aren't they? The, the foamies got bigger. Yeah, they are. But they're not cheap. Well, like, we all think foam's cheap, but nowadays, for anybody listening overseas, the Australian exchange rate to the US dollar and stuff is terrible and the whole hobby sort of runs on US dollars. And so everything costs us, you know, more, more than ever really in, in recent times. So, um, but people are still... Also, also, I've got a Corby Starlet. Oh, have you? Yes, a Corby Starlet. Yeah. Yeah. How long have I had that? No. Well, when did you get that? Who did you get it from? Oh, when did I get that? Sorry. Um, I bought that... Um. I've had that for a few years, finally put it together, flew it. But it's all – this is when we're talking about um, how you put, like, black and red underneath yeah. the wings because it's got the, that nice colour scheme and it's very hard to see if it's upside down, up, you know, right yes. way up top. It's, and I need that black and white striping underneath. Yeah, yeah. 
you need that. Yeah, but that floats around. That floats around. It's a bit underpowered, I think. It's got a 35 on it at the moment, and it needs more weight because it's a big model. It is. That, they look good. I like, I like them in the air as well. Yeah, they do. Like, so you've got so many aeroplanes just sitting there doing nothing, oh, and then you've got a few that you're flying. I know. I need to fly them. Well, every I time to... I see at the field, I say, come, when are you coming for a fly? Not that I can talk because yeah. I'm flying once in a blue moon. Oh, no, I've got to do some brush carding. I've got to do some brush carding. Oh, I've got to um, do some strike. That's where I start heckling you, going, well, you, I, you, I always say, you're not doing a good job because look, look at this yeah, ground here. I know. You hang shit on me. I know. Everyone does, but that's all right. Well, I'll probably do too more, too too much um, work down there than, than flying, but I need, that's got to change. I go to flying events and don't fly. I just take videos and take photographs. But you know what? In saying that, it's my choice, so I'm not blaming anybody. It's my choice, and, and I do enjoy it. I, I, I treat that, the club that I'm in, um, I treat that as a, a high-profile park and I want it to look immaculate. And that's why I put all that effort in and I say to the boys, you know, make sure you brush cut down the, the trees and around all the areas where people see, you know. or Yeah, and I, I try and I, I want it to be the best club in Australia. That's what I, I hope will happen. Everybody's vying for that. But, um, but no, look, the thing is it's a big field that you need to maintain, so there's a massive effort. A huge field. So yeah, I'm going to finish up by saying, Craig, a big thank you. Always love having a chat with you. You're always up for a laugh. You're a very jovial kind of guy. That's why I muck around with you because, um, it, you know, it makes me feel good to have a bit of a, a laugh. So big thank you and uh, thanks for all the efforts and hopefully you can get some of those planes out soon. No. <laughs> There's more planes here. <laughs> that's all. That's all good. About to leave. Already packing. Come with me. I'm not really asking. We'll get away to a place where we don't know. Another episode of the Flat Out RC podcast done and dusted. A big, big, big thank you to Craig Fitzsimmons for joining me. He didn't want to come on. I managed to twist his arm and get, get him in. So a big thank you to Craig for for. for having the guts to come on. A little bit nervous to start off with, he said, but uh, within a couple of minutes he'd settled in. Uh, and thank you to those people that are sending me messages with guest ideas. Uh, I am taking note of them all, and I am attempting to make contact with people as as I, as I can and juggling people's agendas. Some people don't, people, a lot of people just don't respond uh, if they don't know me. That's why I always like to become Facebook friends with them because they'll check their Facebook messages, uh, messages, quicker than if it's just a random message that is hidden through the, the platform. So, uh, and sometimes I give them a call as well if it's a phone number. So appreciate that. If any guests from overseas that uh, anybody listening overseas might um, think would have an interesting story to tell, send me a message and I'll see if I can contact them and try to arrange a suitable time to do a recording because uh, it's hard sometimes. Uh, US can be difficult. Uh, Europe can be difficult. Basically, Australia makes it easy, but we're, we're at the other end of the world. A big thank you to everybody who's listening from overseas as well because uh, a, a large percentage of the audience is uh, overseas, not just an Australian audience, even though we have a lot of Australian guests. So really appreciate you choosing to listen to this podcast. I'll be back next week. I'm not sure with who at this point in time, but I'll work on something. If not, I'll see you the week after. But anyway, stay tuned. Flat Out RC Podcast, subscribe, YouTube channel. Go and have a look at it now. New video up. Take a look.